when you are hurting, who do you blame first? When you hurt, who do you blame first? Ellie Wiesel, Holocaust survivor, professor at Boston University. I'm not sure in what capacity now. He's got to be 85 years old, but author of the book, Night. She details that experience. He said this. He says, I have not lost faith in God. I have moments of anger and protest, but sometimes I've been closer to him for that reason. When you're hurting, who do you blame first? In my own life and just walking in a few years in ministry, I feel like trials and suffering come in two major flavors. One flavor is the, oh, it's really heavy. You feel claustrophobic. It's really tight. Every instinct in you is you just want to escape. Like, let's let this thing be over. That's that pressure cooker trial. The other one is more of the, I'm so lonely. God, where are you? This is a desert. I am just the most lonely person in the world. Can I just die? You know, can this thing just be over? And a lot of our trials, of course, flip-flop between the two or have elements of both. What does God have to say about that? What does God have to say about our trials and about our suffering? Where is he? And really, what is he up to when we experience trials? And it's that question that we will bring to Romans 5, starting at the very beginning. So if you're not there already, uh, come to Romans 5. And uh, if you don't have it, feel free to look up on the screen. Okay, where is God in the trial? What's he up to in my suffering? What does Romans 5 have to say? Let's go bit by bit here. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice, or Paul says, let's rejoice, let us rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And let's rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The first thing we need to realize when we wrestle with a trial or we are suffering and we're in pain, we're hurting because life is hard, we have to realize what our starting point is. And this clearly says that our starting point is very good. I don't know about you, but when things aren't right with someone, like let's say, not like it happens that often anymore, but let's say there's a little conflict between my wife and I, right? From time to time that happens. Or you know what it's like, the closer the person is, maybe it's someone in your office, someone in your dorm, a friend, maybe it's a family member. And when things aren't right, when there is a offense between you, gosh, isn't that hard? I'm the kind of person, I'm looking, sorry, a few people have had a few offenses, me and you, so praise the Lord. I'll just, I'll cover my eyes, you cover yours, we'll be good. Okay, so when that happens, it's just hard. I'm the kind of guy, I just do not, I can't really move a whole lot when I know that things are not right between me and someone else. The good news about this scripture is when it comes to you and God, if you're a follower of Jesus, the great news is you and him are good, okay? Not because of anything you've done. 
but because of what Jesus has done, you have peace with God. And isn't that the most important peace? Isn't that the peace that we need? Isn't that where that whole thing comes from when you hear about war stories and um, or things like that? You know, people say, well, he, you know, right before he died, he made peace with God. He made his peace with God. Why is that? It's because it is. It's it's the most foundational relationship of all humanity, although there's plenty of people in our world today wanting to deny that making peace with God is the most important thing. What a great starting point. You're suffering, you're in a trial, but guess what? You have peace with God. Sure, if there's sin involved, then you are affecting your fellowship with God, but not your favor with him. This is the year of the Lord's favor. You're in the era of the church. Jesus Christ has died and was risen again. So guess what? You've got favor with God. God, you and him are good. You may not feel like it, but you're good. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And this is temple language then in verse 2. He says, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. Right? What Paul has in mind as a consummate Jew is the temple. What the Israelites have known as far as where worship happens. And of course, access was really only granted. The access to the presence. The access to the glory. The access to the immediate presence of God was reserved for one person one day a year. And that was for the high priest. He had bells attached to his ankles. So if anything should go wrong as he went to the Holy of Holies, they could pull his body out. Who knows what might happen in the glory of God. But guess what? You and I, we have access to that intimacy all the time. We have gained access. And what's our standing point now? What is our, the place from which we stand? This scripture says the place from which we stand is grace. It's grace. Everyone say grace. Grace. Come on, let that wash over you. You stand in grace. So you're in a trial, and there's suffering going on. And let me just tell you, your point zero isn't, oh, I'm a mess and God hates me. Your starting point is, I'm a mess, but God loves me. And we have peace, and my starting place here is grace. Amen? That's good news. That's a good news that for years and years, actually centuries, the people of God and the peoples of earth were waiting for and we live in it. Let's not take it for granted. Amen? Amen. Maybe I'm done. That's good right there. Praise the Lord. Come on. Yeah. Favor with God. Amen. Okay. Three and four. Let's keep going. What is God doing? What's he feel about our, our struggles, our, our trials? So let me start with the uh, end here. Verse two. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Okay, into verse 2. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Again, can we just, can we, um, I need to um, demystify the word glory, right? It's not just a Pentecostal word, glory, right? What I like to do is, when I come across glory in the Bible, I need to substitute a word, and that word is presence. Okay, we rejoice in the hope of the presence of God. Okay? You remember that high school crush, right? Ooh, between second and third, She's going to biology. I'm going to English. I'm going to see her, right? You got excited about the hope of the presence there, right? Gabe, don't act like you know what I'm talking about just because you're homeschooled. Come on. All right? Oh, snap. You know, she's in my gym class. He's in my gym class. Okay, can't wait to see her, right? Can't wait to see her. Come on, right? How much more, okay? We rejoice in the hope of the presence of God. We are going to experience Him. We get some of it now, and guess what? When we get to heaven, we're getting all of it, the full presence. I know you know how to get excited about seeing someone. Are we excited about seeing God? Are we excited about seeing His presence? Paul is saying, let's rejoice. 
Let's rejoice in the hope we will be in his presence. We will be in his glory. We experienced some of it now, right? Did we not just a few minutes ago? The presence of God in worship? Man, I just get in his presence. I just say, thank you, Lord. This is what I'm alive for. Praise the Lord. It's what I will be living for. Amen. Okay, not only so. Paul turns to the corner here. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our trial. Why? Is Paul just a crazy man? Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Verse 3, not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering. Oh, man, let's not be mistaken. Jesus himself, here, Paul. Elsewhere in the Bible, John and James, Peter, all the writers in the New Testament, or many of them, were very clear that just because you become a follower of Jesus does not mean there's no suffering. In fact, the contrary. They say, guess what? Because you're a follower of Jesus, there will be some suffering. But the way Jesus said it was, take heart, I've overcome the world. In other words, Jesus has overcome, so you can too. So let's just not be mistaken. Suffering is always a part of the deal. And I love how Oswald Chambers says it. Oswald Chambers, some of you know him, his book, My Utmost for His Highest. He's a Scottish holiness man, just lived 43 years, a short life. But he made this um, observation that at Calvary, there were three crosses. And all three of them went through the same suffering, right? There was the bad man. He went through suffering. There was the guy who was penitent, right? The guy who said, hey, actually, you know, we deserve this. He suffered the same, but he got to go to heaven. And then lastly, we had the son of God. He also suffered. And of course, by his suffering, it produced good for the whole world. The point Oswald Chambers is making is this. We all suffer. But what is different for us, the hope that we have as believers, is that that suffering is moving us somewhere. That we are moving towards something better. Amen? And that's the guarantee we have. That this suffering is moving us somewhere. And Paul outlines three things in particular. That when we're in a trial, when we're feeling the squeeze, or if we're feeling the desert, that here's three things that God is probably working on. Okay? We rejoice in our sufferings. Again, not, not in a masochistic sort of way. We don't rejoice like that we suffer or that there is suffering. Like, woohoo, I'm sick. You know, we don't do that. We just say, okay, this is a reality of life. But there's, in this suffering, I can rejoice, right? I can have hope. And here's why. Because God's working on three things. We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Man, if there is a need today for mature people who walk in these three things, it is now. And we need it. And God, these things are of more worth than, I don't know, the Mercedes SUV that looks really good. All right? Of more worth. I could, anyways... Just of more worth than a lot of the things we desire, God is wanting to put on us, in us, perseverance, character, and hope. And please let me tell you why you need, why I want, why I want me to have, why I want you to have more perseverance. I want you to have more character, and I want you to have more hope. Here's why. First thing, perseverance. Everyone say perseverance. perseverance. Okay, other, yours, your edition might say, uh, your translation might say um, endurance. It might say patience. Um, but we need perseverance because long-suffering or perseverance, it's the only way that you get to certain good stuff. 
Certain good things are only available to those who persevere. I love the example of George Mueller. George Mueller, a Prussian-born man in London, just God put on his heart to take care of orphans. He did it by faith. In other words, he didn't have this constant flow of income. But he'd be sitting there with all the kids in his care and say, oh my gosh, you don't have any milk. He'd get on his knees and he'd pray, Lord, please send us milk. Then there'd be a knock on the door because this milk cart overturned two blocks away and says, hey, we have some extra milk here. Do you want it? And this would, just, this would happen all the time in George Mueller's life. Well, somewhere in his 30s, George Mueller was really concerned about five of his friends. And so, and George Mueller, this is 1800s. So when he's in his 30s, he gets concerned for five of his friends because they don't know the Lord. And so he starts praying for all of them, five guys. He makes a little list. I hope you have one. Here's mine right here. It's my list of who I'm praying for right now because these people don't know the Lord and that makes me sad. Sorry, that wasn't a... Um, praise the Lord. So he starts praying for five people. And in a few months, the first one comes to the Lord. Praise God. Amen? He's doing better than I am right now, honestly. Okay? It takes 10 years before numbers 2 and 3 come to the Lord. 10 years. How many of us have persevered for anything for 10 years, right? This is a young congregation. I don't know. Okay? 10 years. He's praying day in, day out. And 2 and 3 come to the Lord. It would be 25 years until the fourth one comes to the Lord. Praise God. 25 years in, he comes to the Lord. And then the fifth, George Mueller goes to his grave, not knowing about the fifth, but shortly after his funeral, the fifth one comes to the Lord. Listen, some of the things that you and I are persevering for, we won't see. I mean, just read Hebrews, right? That whole hall of faith, a lot of them didn't see what God was doing in them until after the fact. But man, we need perseverance because that's how the good things of life come. You want a great marriage? It's going to take some perseverance. Do we want a great church? It's going to take a little perseverance, right? Do you want a great business? It's going to take some perseverance. How much more your soul? Your soul is of infinite worth to God. And it's going to take a little perseverance to see all that you want happening in your heart. Amen? All right. Perseverance is a good thing. You want it. God is working it in you in the trial. Believe it. Receive it. Second thing, character. Everyone say character. Okay, everyone's looking a little grim. Was that too heavy? Perseverance, let's go. All right. Character. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Character. What is character? The Greek indicates that it means proven character, as in something that's tested by examination. Why do you want character? As I said before from this place, you want character because God is wanting to give you more, okay? God's delight is to share his kingdom with you. Jesus said it when he was on the earth. He said, it's my delight. Actually, it's my father's delight to give you the kingdom. He wants to impart, impart more to you, more responsibility. But the issue will be is, do we have the character to handle it? That's what he's working in the trial, in the suffering. God is working on your character. Do you know that when the council of Nicaea, the Nicene Council, first got together. All right, this is the 4th century A.D. After uh, several um, scores of years, actually uh, centuries of persecution. All right? The church is persecuted in an awful way. But then Constantine comes to power, has some sort of semblance of a conversion where now it's okay to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. So he calls this council. 318 delegates show up. And wouldn't you know it, but only 12 of them did not have a crippled limb, a hand that was lost, or an eye that was lost because of the persecution. 
Do you think those people had some character? Do you think that when God wanted to entrust with his church an important thing that we, you know, the Nicene Creed is what we say now? When, when, when God had to say, let's clarify some orthodoxy here. Let's clarify specifically the relationship between the Father and the Son. What does the church need to believe about the relationship between the Father and the Son? He put it in the hands of some guys with some real character because they had lost limb and eye following Jesus. That'll get some character, won't it? God wants to do the same thing. I'm not saying he wants to chop off your limbs. But I can say that with trial and with suffering, you get a few stripes. And when you come out of it well, God can entrust you with more and more. I want to be a part of that crew. I've got to be careful what I wish for. So, ah, you know, watch out lightning or whatever. We go through trial. It's because God wants to give you more. A little more trial, but a lot more character. And so you can rule in his kingdom. He wants to give you a scepter. Actually, that's a great picture. I had this picture... A couple weeks ago, in a, in a kind of um, prophetic counseling session I was in, and I was just explaining how the burden of work was a little bit too much. I said, Lord, help me. And I felt like God gave me clear as day a picture. He took the yoke off my back, and he put in my hand a scepter, a golden scepter. And it was a scepter of his authority. So instead of my work and my labor, I took up his scepter of his authority. Praise the Lord, it's all about him. Amen? God wants to do the same thing in your life. You take off the yoke of work whatever that is for you, and you just receive his authority. So when you deal with people, you're not trying to manipulate or twist things. You're just walking the authority of God. Amen? Amen. Um, I love, um, yeah, uh, praise the Lord. I have an example there that I can't read. Thank you, Jesus. I love my writing. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I mentioned already briefly, but um, so I was just at this prayer summit this last week, and it was kind of all the, all the who's who of Boston pastors is there. And, you know, I'm just thinking, Amen for Gilbert Thompson. You know, he's the pastor of Jubilee Christian Fellowship. Wonderful, life-giving church in the city. Roberto Miranda, pastor of Lion of Judah. And then, of course, tons of other, you know, not as well-known, but just wonderful group of women and men. And I'm just looking around the room, just going, thank you, God. Because these are people who, because of proven character, you're entrusting this city of Boston with. It was one of those wonderful moments when, you know, in Revelation it says, you know, let him who has an ear to hear... Um, hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. It was a wonderful moment in that room when we were just kind of discerning what is the Spirit of God saying to us. And I can fill you in more on that later in another place. My point just being, these were people of proven character. And so God could delight, you know, delightfully say, let me share with you my plans for the city of Boston and little bits and pieces. Amen? Okay, perseverance. Everyone say perseverance. perseverance. So what he's working on in your trial. When you're hurting... God is loving you. When you're hurting, God is loving you by giving you perseverance. When you're hurting, God is loving you by giving you character. The last thing he's giving you is hope. Everyone say hope. hope. Okay, you need hope. It is the, ooh, it is the difference maker. Okay? Sorry, was that a Bushism? I don't know. It is the, but sorry, I don't mean to be political. I've, anyways, praise the Lord. I voted for him. Okay, so... <clears throat> It's the difference maker. Hope is the difference maker in your life, okay? When you look at people, I can be a little extreme here, but when you look at people who end up turning homicidal or suicidal, there's this little string of Ds that happens, the last few of which are discouragement. They get very discouraged. And then they get to despair. And then lastly is when they turn to destruction. They're either going to harm someone else or harm themselves. The only difference maker is whether there can be a ray of hope inserted along that slippery slope into self-destruction or destruction of others. 
To my point, in the early 80s, a man named Eugene Lang, he was from Harlem, but just as God would have it, uh, he became very successful, became a millionaire. He went back to his old elementary school, PS 121, public school 121 in East Harlem. He showed up to speak to a class of about 66th graders. He was thinking about his notes, what he was going to say, and blah, blah, blah. And kind of on the way up to the little podium there, the principal said, hey, just by the way, you know, of these 60, 75% will not graduate college, or will not graduate high school, excuse me. They will drop out. Largely Puerto Rican, largely African-American um, crew there. And so he scrapped his notes on the way to the podium and said, you know what? You 59 people, if you finish high school, I will pay for your college education. This was in 1981. Wouldn't you know that the stats that were 75% would not make it through high school, 90% of them went on to college. Why? Because they had a little bit of hope that changed everything. It changed their attitude and it changed their behavior. Listen, we need to be asking God, in this hopeless situation, God, where is the ray of hope for me? And I believe that God wants to speak that to some of you today, that there is hope for your despair, for your discouragement. There is hope, and you just need that little slice of hope so your attitudes can change and your behaviors will start to change. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd impart hope even right now. I'm going to pause. Lord, I pray that you'd impart hope where there's despair and discouragement over people today. Impart hope. Let them see things as you see them in the name of Jesus. I just break the power of the enemy and the plan of the devil over our hearts and our lives. And I pray instead for hope today. Give us the word, the picture, the thing that will enable us to just take the next step in Jesus' name. Amen. Among these pastors that I was with this last week was a man named Sergio. I'd never met him before. Sergio Perez is pastor of Harvest International Fellowship in Weymouth, Mass. Try to look for him. It's hard because their website's not up yet or it's not working too well. But this man is managing a $7 million project, becoming a $12 million building project. We had a chance to pray for each other. He's my new friend. It was really poignant when he shared with me I mean, the man's a busy man with this building project going on and all the ministry that's going on. But he said his family makeup is real similar to ours. He has a 22-year-old son and, a, I think, a 19-year-old daughter. But he said, you know what? In all my years of my ministry, I don't have one regret regarding my relationship with my kids. I always spend time with my kids. My son considers me his best friend. In fact, just a few years ago, actually, his son was kind of sleepy academically. It wasn't real sharp. But then um, God got a hold of his life recently. And, um, uh, and he started, actually it happened when um, he was in Mexico, because Sergio is from Guatemala, but he sent his son to Mexico. Actually, the reason he, I should back up. The reason he sent his son to Mexico was because his son said, Dad, I want you to be my mentor. I want you to be my real mentor. And he said, all right, son, take a semester off of college. Just go to Mexico so you can learn a little bit about our Hispanic culture, but also so you can kind of see what's out there, you know? What do you want to be when you grow up? What are the needs? And it's in his time in Mexico when God got a hold of this son's life. This guy who was happy with C's and D's all his life. He read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Any fans out there? There we go. I know there are a few. Evangelical crowd. We'll get, a, get him up. Okay, so he reads it. And he just feels like God's called him to be an apologist. He just won at UMass Boston. He just won this Latino Leadership Award. He's, he's on fire. Watch out. My point was this. When you got two small children... Sometimes you just think it's just going to be poop and diapers and no sleep and crying and breaking up fights for the rest of our natural lives. <laughs> That's what it feels like. 
But I got hope because I saw Sergio's relationship with his son just 19 years down the line. I said, yes, I want to make sure and not miss Hannah and JD's growing up. I'm not going to sacrifice them. We're going to see God work in them and we're going to have a bond and I can't control everything, but I can love them. You know, so I have a clear conscience before God. Amen. So I got a little hope. Now it's changing my attitude, my behavior in the day to day when it is all poop and breaking up fights. Amen. Find that hope. Praise the Lord. Okay. Now we get to the fun part. Ooh, 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 ooh. Verse five. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Oh, may God reframe us today when it comes to our suffering and our trial. We think in our suffering and trial, God, where the heck are you? But God's saying, actually, right now in the trial, I'm loving you so much. I'm loving you because I'm giving you hope. I'm giving you character. I'm giving you perseverance. And as it says, I'm pouring out my love on you. Okay? I am pouring it out. All right? This is you. Yes. No, we don't have shot glasses in the Hubacher house. It's just a little glass. All right? Pour. I mean, the Greek couldn't be more plain in terms of it is pouring out. It's not just like God deposits, gently places, nicely, not offending you, putting a little love in your heart. It's he just pours it out. This is the love of God. And there's just him pouring it out. But that's not good enough. It's he's pouring it out. He is pouring it out. In the name of Jesus, he is pouring it out. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right. (laughs) I actually have a point. Thank you, Lord. Got you guys scared. Okay. Matt Newby, I I needed you right there. I needed a shot because you should have seen on the front row, right? Okay. But wouldn't it be great if in the middle of your trial... In the middle of your suffering, you were saying, God, whoa, stop pouring out all this love. It's so powerful. It's so great. Oh, my gosh, you love me so much. Because that's what he wants to do. He's pouring out his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit in the midst of the trial. Do you receive it? A few people. Does anyone here believe it? Okay. He is pouring it out. And it comes in different waves and different times. And I understand. I know there's the pain of the desert, as a lot of the contemplative writers have written. John of the Cross, I realize that. But listen to God's heart. He is pouring out his love into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. If you've gotten around Jeremy Puzz lately, Puzz has been a little lightning rod of the Holy Spirit lately. So if you get in a prayer meeting with him, watch out, right? Because the Holy Spirit's coming in some really demonstrative ways. God wants to pour out his love on you. And by the way, on this perseverance thing, I just want to say about Puzz, because Puzz just said it to me um, a few minutes ago. He just said, you know what? It's not that I'm doing anything different in my kind of pouring out my life to different guys around me. But it's just that all of a sudden, God's kind of turned up the faucet. That's, when I'm talking about character and perseverance, that's what I'm talking about. We just keep doing what God's called us to do, even through the suffering and the trial or the desert. And you just never know when God's going to light things up. Amen? Amen. And God's going to light things up in Beverly. He's going to light things up in your life. He wants to. There's good seasons. There's rough seasons. But he's always pouring out his love into your heart. Okay? When I'm hurting, God is loving. Okay, when you are hurting, that's precisely the time when God is loving you. Amen. All right. Just say it with me. When I'm hurting, God is loving. When I'm hurting, God is loving me. Amen. Okay. He is not the author of it. He's allowed it, but he is loving you. And so then the rest of this passage, 
Verses 6 through 11 is simply an explanation of that love. What does the love of Christ look like? Let's look at 6 to 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ah, praise the Lord. That's how God loves you. He loves you first by dying for you before you even merited it, okay? A lot of sad stories, of course, come out of war. And this war with Afghanistan or in Afghanistan against the Taliban primarily is no exception. But you know that in March 2012, a uh, National Guardsman from Rhode Island named Dennis Weichel, he died. I want to tell you how he died. He died because the U.S. Army has these 16-ton machines that go to get mines. And if the mines explode, it doesn't hurt the machine because it's got 16 tons of armament around it. Well, this uh, soldier's job was to clear out, you know, all the kids and people. They're always crowding the roads. And so they have to shoo them away so this machine can come out. Well, as, as uh, would happen... Um, the, a little girl, a little Afghan girl, was going to pick up one of the brass shell casings, you know, an ammunition casing, because they can be traded for money. And so the little girl went up, you know, just as this machine was bearing down on the road, and um, this uh, soldier grabbed her out of the way, but not in enough time to get himself out of the way. So he was crushed by this machine. From the military standpoint, what a waste, right? What a waste. We lost a good soldier in a non-combative thing. Not to God. Not to God. And my point, you know, how much more? That man laid his life down for this girl who could be of no help military to the United States. You and me. uh, Apart from the grace of God, in one sense, we're not that beautiful and exciting and attractive that God should should lay down his life for us, you know? I'm, I guess it's just me, maybe. I just am aware of my own rebellion. I'm aware of all the places where I'm unlovely towards God, and yet Jesus died for me. Amen? That's how God loves us. How else does he love us? Let's look at 9 through 11. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, verse 10, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Everyone just say that. Saved through his life. Say it with me. Saved through his life. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Going back to the beginning, that word of peace. Uh, I... The, the thought that Paul is kind of jump-starting here, and then he kind of interrupts himself, but the thought that he's doing goes something like this. Listen, if God and you were made at peace by Christ's death, how much more can you reign in life through his life, right? So the other way that Christ loves us is, in your trial and in your suffering, he's willing to live his life through you. I don't believe that's just a matter of semantics. I believe it is a way of describing a true kingdom reality that we all can experience more and more. I was first really alerted to this kingdom mentality in a really powerful way when in college I read a book by a guy named Major W. Ian Thomas. He was a British man, and he was 
grabbed by God at a young age, actually around 15 years old. He just got really passionate about Jesus in London. This would be pre-World War II. And he just, man, he went for it. Like he was just a go-getter. You know, we got a few of you guys zealots here in this church. And you remind me of what this guy must have been like. And just going for it, loving Jesus. Like in East London with a lot of slums, he started like, you know, these Bible club kind of things. And his intervarsity group as a collegiate man, um, just passionate about Jesus. But seven years into it, so he's about age 22, he just has a crisis. He goes into despair, discouragement. He's without hope. And he's just like, he's just exhausted himself for the kingdom. He's wondering, what's the deal? And this is the word that God spoke to him. And it is the word um, out of which he authored the book called The Saving Life of Christ. He says this. This is God speaking to him. You see, Ian, for seven years, with utmost sincerity, you have been trying to live for me on my behalf. The life that I have been waiting for seven years to live through you. Some of you guys are worn out either by Christian service or just by life, by the trial or by the suffering that you are in right now. And what I want to share is, is that there is a kingdom dynamic you can tap into where it's Jesus living his life through you. Of course, it's a, a dynamic to be discussed. You know, it doesn't mean you just kind of go onto an autopilot, but it means there's a dynamic, there's an energy, there's a life, there's hope, there's faith, there's all sorts of stuff because it's Christ living his life through you. Amen. And that's another sermon as far as how to tap into it. But just know that it's there. Just know that this is the other way that Christ is loving us. He's loving us by being available to us to live this life. He wants to live his life through us. Well, when I'm hurting, God is loving. Okay? When you're hurting, I guarantee God's there loving you. Yes, you got to look for it. Yes, you've got to figure out where is God calling me to persevere, have character, and have some hope. But I guarantee he's loving. We're going to wait a moment on the Lord. And I just want you to ask him, if you're not in a trial or suffering right now, praise the Lord. You just thank him for the grace. You know, you thank him for those first two verses, right? The fact that, man, we're at peace. Praise the Lord. But if there is a weight on you because of a lot in life that you're living right now, you just say, Lord, what are you doing in me? How are you forming these things in me? How are you loving me right now? Let's wait on the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak there. While that's happening, I'd invite the worship team and those folks serving communion to come up. That you would... This is a sweet word, not a cruel word. God, you're not a cruel God. There are cruel things happening to us. There are cruel things happening in the world. And so, Lord, we experience trial and suffering. But Holy Spirit, I pray, will you just give us the next thing we need to know, that little sliver of hope that will enable our suffering or our trial to not destroy us. Pour out your love by the Holy Spirit, I pray. God, it's shed abroad in our hearts, as one translation says. I pray as we worship, as we partake of communion, as we fellowship with one another into this week, I pray that the love of God would be shed abroad in our hearts, poured out on us, full flow, the Holy Spirit.